Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Coach Time after a quick vacation here on the Believe Network. And I have a pleasure, I have the pleasure, excuse me, of being joined by Kyrie Thompson of WBUR to kind of bring myself back in here from vacation. Kyrie, if you do not know him from WBUR, you may know him from WEEI. He spent time covering the Patriots there, did a great job there. Now is it BUR. Kyrie, how are you today? Doing wonderfully, man. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Happy to be back. And I want to start off with your work at WBUR. Could you give our listeners a little bit of insight kind of to what you do there and what you're working on right now? Yeah, so I'm a producer with WBUR's Radio Boston, which means I'm behind the glass more than in front of the microphone. Occasionally, uh, they, they let me, you know, yap about sports uh, when the situation calls for it. We had a little bit of Patriots talk a couple of weeks ago where they they uh, you know forgot to shut the door and let me sneak in. Uh, so I, I've been I've been able to do that a little bit. I'm really enjoying um, just putting together a variety of different segments. You know, when you're in sports like I was the last couple of years, you know, first with Boston.com, um, you know, kind of doing all Boston sports. And then last year um, being very Patriots focused, there's sometimes where where you find yourself thinking like, man, I would like to do something else. Right. And, and, and talk about other topics and, and kind of stretch some of those creative muscles. And I've been enjoying being able to do that while also having the opportunity to occasionally talk some ball. Nice. And while you do, uh, and you are a man of many talents and you do many different segments and produce many different things, we are going to stick mostly to sports here. And you mm -hmm. mentioned your experience covering the Patriots. I want to start there. They just finished up mini camp about a week and a half ago. There's an offer out there for DeAndre Hopkins. Mm -hmm. We haven't talked in a little while, Kyrie. How would you assess the last couple months of their offseason and kind of where they stand right now? Well, it sounds like the name of the game has been competence, right? Just returning to competence, particularly on the offensive side of the football. I don't really think anybody's worried about whether or not the defense is going to look good. It's probably going to it's probably going to look good. The question is, can they be elite with the talent that they've got? Offensively, I mean, last year around this time, it's fair to say that around this time when we were in uh, mini camp uh, OTA phase, it there's not a whole lot to see because it's all it's non padded. Yeah, sure. They were running outside zones and they were and they were repping it over and over again. But the fact that they weren't really getting anywhere on those plays or didn't look like they were getting great push didn't really bother people so much because it's not real football. And you figure, OK, once they throw the pads on, it's going to look fine. The passing game didn't look really all that disjointed. I mean, if you remember, Mac Jones was airing it out to Trey Nixon all over the place and making big plays. So it, it seemed like everything at that point was okay. But then you you got into training camp, and that's when you really started to see this is a problem. I mean, they they really don't know what they're executing. It sounds just like from you know not being on the ground, but listening to you know just different reports that. Bill O'Brien has just come in and been the adult in the room and made this a competent system, a competent offense that people understand what they're doing, where they're supposed to be, why they are supposed to be there and why they are doing what they're doing. And I feel like the whys part of this was something that was was neglected last year slash they just didn't know how, how to teach that, meaning Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. You don't you're not going to have that problem with Bill O'Brien. So I would say that by and large, this has been about the most normal Patriots off season you could have up to this point. Yeah. And I think your use of the word competence is 
Correct. And that's a word I've used all along this offseason. And that last year, there were so many things the Patriots offense did that you could say were not competent. They were last in the league in the red zone, 27th in the league in third down conversion. We saw the turnover struggles that they had. So just being competent, we've seen Mac Jones and Kendrick Bourne both make comments along those lines. Kendrick Bourne even went as far as to say Bill O'Brien really knows what he's doing, which I mean, it's a pretty solid shot at Patricia and Judge in and itself. Yeah, I want to ask you, though, because the Patriots look, I think the Patriots have the potential to be a playoff team. However, they'd have to move beyond, I think, just having a competent offense, because I think they can have a great defense. If they were to move beyond a competent offense, would DeAndre Hopkins fit into that puzzle? If he comes in, is he now taking them to a great offense or a very good offense? How would you assess what his potential impact would be? I personally would, would rate it more on the very good scale because until it, it it's kind of a chicken or the egg thing right because i'm looking at it like until you find out what mac jones is if he has that potential to be great then i hesitate to say that deandre hopkins immediately takes you to being a great offense now you could say that adding a player like deandre hopkins having a real number one wide receiver is the key towards seeing if Mac Jones has that in his bag, whether or not he can go from a, eh, I don't know, middle of the pack. I mean, really it was one of the worst quarterbacks in the league last year in terms of, of metrics and statistics, though I don't really hold that completely against him at all. Um, he was really fighting an uphill battle and, and, and most people around the team would acknowledge that. Um, but I would say you want to go from being a bottom half quarterback you know maybe in the 15 to 20 range to being a borderline top 10 right that's the kind of jump that you want to see from mac jones in order to say oh yeah this is a guy that we're we're back on track to maybe paying him and obviously you want to see him be better than that if, you, if you're going to really commit money to him but you want to see if, if a player like deandre hopkins can do that for you i'm not sure because i still think that all in all this is not going to i mean DeAndre Hopkins is 31 years old. I think he's probably got two years probably of elite production left in him or like very good production. And then maybe you'll start to see him fall off and not be the same guy that, that he's been. His, his game's never really been predicated on explosiveness and ripping off like 80 yard touchdowns. Anyway, it's been about being physical, being crafty and just straight up making plays that not a lot of guys can make. Mac Jones can absolutely use that. I think that overall, I, I agree with your assessment, though. I think a couple of years ago, you could say the offense was above average. I'm talking about in 2021 here. Sure. And the defense, the defense was really good, and the offense was above average. And you look at where that got them. They still got to the wild card game and got absolutely the doors completely blown off. Now, I think last year, again, you had a very good defense, albeit one that you could say still struggled against the elite competition a little bit more relatively. Um, but then the offense was thoroughly and completely incompetent. This year, I think that you've got to have something, again, more above average because competence will get you more or less where you were last year in terms of competing, being on the doorstep of the playoffs. But Again, I think that if, if you're talking about the future for Mac Jones and really the future for this entire squad, because I I mean, you, you wonder about the defense and with them not having a whole lot of elite talent either. It's like, how much are they going to be able to continue to be good 
basically just based on do your job, do your job, do your job. So I, I agree. If you want to even think about winning a playoff game, this offense needs to go from competent to above average slash good. And it's funny you talk about if you want to win a playoff game, which is interesting in year four now since Tom Brady left. We're talking about if you want to win a playoff game. And Bill Belichick, I thought, said something really interesting in a podcast with the 33rd team earlier this month in that even though the Patriots won the Super Bowl in 2001, he didn't feel they were really a great team until 2003, his fourth year in New England. So now we're in the fourth year of the post-Brady era how much pressure do you feel is on Bill Belichick and the organization as a whole to now not just make the playoffs and be that fringe nine and eight, 10 and seven playoff team, but actually win a playoff game and be a threat to go deeper in the playoffs? I feel like that's when you're talking about pressure on Belichick, I think that's a question we got to parse out a little bit. It's like pressure from where pressure like on himself I feel like he probably feels that pressure every year and he puts it on himself. The guy wants to be great. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to get knocked out in the first round. I think that he puts it on himself. He, Belichick, the GM puts a lot on Belichick, the coach to make do with what you've got, um, you know, and, and, and make a, a good team, a great one. And I'm not sure that, that approach necessarily works when you don't have Tom Brady, when you don't have at least one transcendent player that lifts everybody up. And again, you want that from the quarterback position, ideally, right? So you haven't had that with Mac Jones through some fault of your own, if you're a Bill Belichick. Um, and so I think that from, from his standpoint, I'm sure that he feels a lot of pressure to prove that he can get it done without Tom Brady. I, I feel like that, that's something I've heard about him. It's like he he wanted to prove that he could keep winning without Tom Brady. Cause I am sure he hears, he hears the, the, the topics of discussion happening now in terms of pressure, like could Bill Belichick not be the coach of the new England Patriots next year, if they don't win a playoff game. I don't, I don't know that it's like that to me. I feel like as long as this team, again, is a, like a winning record or winning record adjacent, like I'm talking eight, nine, 10 wins somewhere in that range, then Bill Belichick is, is basically, he's going to be the coach until he decides he doesn't want to be the coach. So I don't think of it as, I mean, people point out, Oh, Robert Kraft said this and he wants to, you know, win the, he wants to win a playoff game and he's really, you know, putting it to bill and you never know what could happen. I, I just, I don't believe it. I, I think that unless the Patriots are awful, I'm talking like four and 13 or, we find out Bill Belichick is like secretly a really horrible person that needs to be put behind bars. Then the guy is going to, he's going to be here until, it, until he breaks the coaching record. And then he's either going to move up or, you know, he's going to ride off into the sunset, whatever it happens to be. So I think the pressure is internal. It's self-motivated. And I, I, I do still kind of have the opinion that he's probably making it a little bit more difficult on himself by sticking to that old school view of, you know, do your job, do your job and we'll win. Um, but I think that's about it in terms of pressure. Now we've talked mostly about their offense, but I think defensively 
they have the potential to be an elite defensive unit, but that kind of took a hit earlier this month with the Jack Jones arrest. Now, we don't know yet if he'll be playing for them in the fall, if he won't be. How much does his arrest, and let's say he does have to miss some time, let's just because I feel like it's he's going to, at a minimum, even if he gets off the charges, is probably going to have to miss some time. How much does that impact their defense, in your opinion, of what they want to do? That's an interesting question because I don't think that Jack Jones is the key to this defense being elite. I, I don't necessarily think that missing him is any kind of world ending catastrophe because ultimately he's probably not going to, he was probably wasn't going to start over Christian Gonzalez. I mean, you listen to everything that's going on out there in camp. Christian Gonzalez is he's a starting corner. He's going to be a starting cornerback unless he's hurt, right? Or just like inexplicably bad between now and week one of the regular season. He's going to start. And then on the other side of that, it sounds a lot like John Jones is going to be out there again because he's the most experienced corner and, and probably the best one they've got right now. So then the question is, where does Jack Jones fit into that? Maybe he's the next guy off the bench in the slot. Maybe he spells Christian Gonzalez or they got a platoon on the outside. So I, I feel like it's not like you lost a Sante Samuel in his prime or something like that. But I think that while that's true, the, the ability to have a ball hawking corner like Jack Jones with the kind of ball skills that he has, I mean, it can only make you better, right? So it's so like at, at best you're, you're saying that, okay, like you're, you're, you're not going to fall off precipitously because you were probably, he probably wasn't going to be a starter anyway, but you could have been better to have him, to have that flexibility. See if he could play a different role. See if he could play in the slot. See if he could push Christian Gonzalez. Maybe see if he could push to start on the outside. And then you say, hey, John Jones, you play, you spent all this time in the slot. You're really good. We know you know what you're point. doing. Why don't we kick you in there? And Marcus Jones can spell you in the slot and focus on returns, right? It just takes options off the table. And I feel like with the corners and the safeties in particular, right? Because you also lost Devin McCourty this offseason to retirement. This There's going to be a lot of mixing and matching in the secondary. There's going to be a lot of matchup dependent stuff. And when, you, when that's the kind of ball you want to play, you want to have as many different options as possible, as many different chess pieces still on the board as you can. And so from that standpoint, losing Jack Jones hurts because it takes away one of your pieces. I don't know that, it, again, that it's the difference between them being really good versus great, but it definitely doesn't help. Yeah. And I love your description there. And I view Jack Jones as a swing piece and that he's a guy that if he's healthy and he can play outside corner, then you mentioned it. John Jones can be in the slot. He can also play maybe even free safety like he did in 2020 for part of the year, which can help with the Devin McCourty absence. So he does eliminate a lot of creativity, at least at the cornerback position that they could have. Again, we'll wait to see if and how long he is out or if he's even still on the team come the fall. It's just, again, it's that swing piece that the creativity that they have with their safeties. A lot of times they could have had with their corners and now they won't. And Kyrie, spent a lot of time talking about the Patriots, but the biggest news this past month yeah. has been the Boston Celtics trading Marcus Smart in a three-team deal with Memphis and Washington. They get two first-round picks and Kristaps Porzingis. I just want to flat-out ask you, what's your reaction to that? 
So it's funny. So obviously I mentioned I'm a, I'm a producer with Radio Boston. So I don't always get a chance to do the sports talk. Um, sometimes I produce it. And we just had a segment this morning on uh, on 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 this trade with Abby Chin from NBC Sports Boston and Howard Bryant from uh, from ESPN. And there were some sparks flying in there. It was a really, really great conversation. When I found out about this, because originally I thought it was going to be Malcolm Brogdon, yeah. and I saw that the the deal for that fell apart, probably because Brogdon's health situation is still not 100% decided. When I saw it was smart, I was like, wow, okay. But the reason I, I was more like, oh, all right, that, that's interesting. Didn't necessarily expect that, as opposed to what are the Celtics doing? Is because honestly, I thought to myself, smart might have had to go. Um, and, and the reason I say that is not because he's a, he's not a good player. He's, you know, kind of the heart and soul, the hustle guy, the glue guy, you know, he, he's been here since 2014. He's seen it and done it all. He's a good player and they love him here. I, I think he, he's polarizing to some fans, but I think when you get down to it, he, he's, he's well liked here, but I think that it's been about time for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown to take, you know, assume full ownership of this team and really see what they are without kind of such a strong voice like Marcus Smart, who is probably the most vocal leader on the team. And in a way to not have him be like, yeah, you know, Joe Missoula makes mistakes like the rest of us. And, and, and you're kind of just like, Marcus, do you really want to be saying that in the yeah. press? You know, and that, and that kind of thing. Um, but but I, I think that you need to build this operation around Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown entirely. And now the, the question is whether or not you're going to pay Jalen Brown still, and you're going to commit in the end, what 600 plus million dollars to the two of them. You know, you're keeping Tatum. I mean, that that's probably set in stone. The question is, are you keeping Jalen Brown? But I think the idea is, look, you know, having Marcus Smart, who's not necessarily a true point guard, is you know, defense first guy and, and not, not have him kind of, bogging things down with shots that you don't want him taking or turnover plays that you're like, Marcus, I don't know what you were trying to do right there. And just have a guy like Derek White, who's going to pass the ball and get out of the way unless he's open and got a three or sixth man of the year, Mark uh, Malcolm Brogdon. If you want to insert him into the starting lineup, the guy's been a starter his entire career until he came here. It's like, you've got those options. They're both more true point card options than what Marcus Smart necessarily is. So maybe you're saying, let's do that. And then, of course, you're bringing in Kristaps Porzingis, who you needed another big yeah. that can that could get the job done. Because I feel like at times you were hamstrung where you had Robert Williams, whether due to health or whether because he's very kind of one-dimensional in terms of his ability to score. Um, you know, or, or Al Horford, who's getting up there in age. You needed another guy that you could trust to put in there at the four or five and be able to clean the glass and score points for you. Chris Stops, Porzingis, providing health, can do that for you. Um, and so I think that this could be, I wonder philosophically, if this isn't a shift to, okay, yeah, I know we've talked a lot about defense, and we still want to play good defense, but the name of the game is score more points than the other team. If you yep. do that, yeah, I mean, that that's, that's all you – in the end, that's all that really matters. Did you score more points than the other team? So I, I wonder if that's what we're going to be looking for now is offense, offense, offense. But Kristaps Porzingis can still help you out on the defensive end too. 
And Porzingis, by the way, 5% better as a three-point shooter than Marcus Smart, too. So if you're throwing 38% yes. to 33%. And you mentioned Derek White. And I think, to me, the headline of this trade is Marcus Smart out, Porzingis in. The subheadline is Derek White's going to get more minutes. And I think that's huge for the Celtics. I think there were long stretches of last year. He was their third best player, arguably their best defender at guard, played all 82 games. Like Derek White, to me, was terrific. And we all remember that great putback to win game six against Miami. He wouldn't have even been in if Malcolm Brogdon was healthy. So I think getting him more minutes is huge. And I like what you said about the big men up front. I think you need more reinforcements. The one big man, though, that could have been a reinforcement that might not be Grant Williams. Are you okay with the Celtics letting him walk if that means, hey, they brought in Porzingis? Or is this, hey, they should go to the second apron and bring Grant Williams back? Honestly, and this is a guy that I think has had an interesting time because when he's good, obviously he's a versatile defender and he can he can be strong enough physical enough to take you if you're if you're kind of a four type guy where he can battle in there with you they had him on Joel Embiid at points just yep. be a pest just get in there on him and make his life a little difficult and he, he wouldn't give ground but he can also cover your your standard wings he can he can hit the corner three for you i think that all in all though when you're talking about a role player like Grant Williams you're not going to be able to keep every single role player sure. you're and and so to me I, I would not fret about losing him if you can have the best starting five that you possibly can or, or, or you could get somebody of, of Porzingis' caliber to come in there and, and, again, score points and be a matchup problem. The question then becomes, who's next, right? Because you, you had moments where Peyton Pritchard has been a good role player for this team, but he kind of lost his role and, and, and it wasn't entirely – consistent he like never played in the playoffs um sam hauser sam hauser going to be your guy that's going to come in and hit threes for you off the bench right so i, I and, and you're still going to have al horford i think probably playing some kind of swingish role where yeah. it's like okay if you do the two big starting lineup it could be porzingis and robert williams now as opposed to horford and horford could come in off the bench now as he's getting up there in age and he can hit threes for you Right. So you you can you can do certain things to mitigate the loss of Grant Williams to the point where I don't know that you fret about going into the second tax apron because they that, that's been kind of an onerous thing for for the Celtics as part of what they did with Smart in the first place, right? Because Smart was is gonna make 49 million dollars over the next three years with the Grizzlies. And so you you wanted to kind of clear that money off your books, although obviously you're taking on you know the player option yeah. for Porzingis, right? So so there's also that money coming in you, that you can't ignore. Um, but then I, I you, you look at it and I think they they viewed it as look the quality of player we're getting is such that when he's on his game that's a risk that you take. And again, when it comes to getting out of um, you know the tax apron, I think they'll probably be fine with losing Grant Williams for that. Last question for you, Kyrie. Jalen Brown, do you give him the Supermax? Why or why not? <laughs> um, nice, easy one to end it, right? I know. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Okay. I'm going to do it because I think that in this league, you need two stars. And you can clown Jalen Brown for 
you know, not being able to dribble the ball with his left hand. I completely understand that. You can clown him for at times disappearing, getting in his own head. But the reality is this guy's an all NBA player. That means he's a star. Okay. And trading him away for assets sounds great in theory. Like, Oh, you can't give him all that money. Like it, it, it's, it's too much. Um, but what are you getting in return for him? Are you getting another star? realistically, if you could show me that you're, you're going to go ahead and you're going to trade Jalen Brown and you're going to get like Dame Lillard or something like that, then I would listen to that because I think Dame Lillard's a better player than, than Jalen Brown. But if you're not getting that again, like Bradley Beal, the guy that we've been talking about for a while, like getting him to play with Jason Tatum, he's off the table now. Right. Yeah. So if you're, if you're not telling me you're going to get a bona fide star in a trade for Jalen Brown, then I don't see the point. You might as well pay the money. I mean, it's it's not like you ain't got it. I mean, it's going to be hefty, right? But if, if, you, if you've got the money, then you do it. And, and then you say to yourself, look, these two, and this is the part we got to remember, okay? They're not in their primes yet, meaning Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. They've still got growth to do. And I understand people saying that the window is closing for this team and, you know, I don't know if they can win a championship. I mean, what, Jason Tatum, he's 25, 26 years old. He's not in his prime yet. Jalen Brown, 26, you know, 27 years yeah. old. He's not in his prime yet either, right? These guys still have time to become even better than what they are now. And I just feel like it's so hard to say, oh, just because uh, they, they haven't done it in this amount of time, like a quarterback on a rookie deal, you got to get rid of them. Basketball is such a star-driven game. You've got two stars in your building right now. I don't think it's fair to necessarily be like, okay, Jason Tatum, be the lone star. No one wins like that anymore, right? No one wins like that. Um, so I, I think, I think you do it. I think you, you, you do that. You try to draft well and you try to develop another in-house star with as much control as as you can on a rookie deal. And you surround them with role players who can get it done. And maybe that means that you got to move on from Robert Williams in the end, or you can't keep a Grant Williams, or you got to trade a Marcus Smart. Or in Porzingis' case, you're obviously not going to be paying that guy $36 million a year after a certain point. But while you can, while you've got that opportunity, while they're still cheap, go for it. And then, you know what? Pay up and then ask them to do what stars do, which is make your team a championship team. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, Brown, a Supermax guy just entering his prime now. Tatum's really entering it this year. And the loophole is if it doesn't work in a year or two, then you have a guy who's 29, an all NBA player you can trade with term left and you probably still could get a lot. So I think it's good to do either way on that. He is Kyrie Thompson of WBUR. Kyrie, it is always a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for taking the time today. Yes, sir, man. Great to be on with you. Thank you. Please stay tuned for a quick word from our sponsors. Welcome back into Coach Time. Big thank you to Kyrie Thompson for joining me on today's episode. We talked some Celtics and some Patriots, as well as his great work at WBUR. And I just want to follow up with some thoughts on the Boston Celtics and their Marcus Smart trade. First of all, it's a big move on the court. As I, Kyrie and I talked about, Getting Derek White more minutes, I think, is huge. Having him out there on the court more, 82 games last year, he was the third best player for most of the season, really good defender, 38% three-point shooter. 
by the way, in his prime too. So like we talk about Tatum and Brown being in their prime, he's in his prime. Porzingis is a guy too who's 27 right now. He's going to be 28 this year. So you look at Derek White getting more minutes, I think is the second biggest, and it's a very close second biggest part of this trade behind the actual movement of Smart and Porzingis. So I love this trade from a Derek White perspective. I think if Malcolm Brogdon is healthy, it allows the Celtics to be pretty creative. And Kyrie touched on this in his segment earlier in the show in that you can have lineups where Robert Williams and Porzingis are your two starters is bigs. And then you have Tatum at the three Brown at the two and white or Brogdon as the point guard. You can have other lineups. If you want to go quote unquote smaller, which you have white and then Brogdon, both at guard Tatum and Brown at the three and the four, probably Brown at the three. And then either Porzingis or Horford or Williams at the five. And the thing about that is, Technically, it's a smaller lineup, but Tatum and Brown and especially Tatum are so long that it's not that much of a small ball lineup. It's still pretty big for the Celtics version of small ball. So I think that allows them to get creative. And I think it's going to be an interesting battle to see who's the starting point guard. Is it White? Is it Brogdon? Brogdon, I think, is the better scorer. White is the better defender and might be a little bit of a better distributor, although I would be interested to see Brogdon truly running the offense and how good a distributor he can be. I would expect Al Horford to come off the bench too, which I think is really valuable because there's going to be times this year where Robert Williams, look, he's injury prone. He always manages his health and his time. He's probably going to miss some time. Porzingis had a healthy year last year, and he had two healthy years to start his career. In between that, he's missed a lot of games with injury. So they may want to manage him. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt, but if he does, you have Horford, as well to step up, at least to fill some time. And if they enter the playoffs healthy, then they can get really creative matchup-wise. And they can be in a situation where they'll always have at least two of Horford, White, and Porzingis on the floor at any time if they want. And if they want to go small, they'll have at least one of those guys on the floor at all times. And maybe there's a series where they want to have White and Brogdon on the floor a lot together, and then there's another series where they don't. So I think playoff time, it gives them a ton of flexibility, more flexibility than they had before. I think Porzingis does give them more flexibility, and not just lineup-wise, but just purely on the court. Porzingis can space the floor much better than Robert Williams can, and he's more athletic than Al Horford. So he allows those guys to do what they're good at. Like Horford's a really good shooter, great defender. We know Williams is elite near the rim as a defender as well as on offense. It allows them to stick to what they are great at, and Porzingis can be more of a matchup nightmare for other teams and roam around and hit threes. But also, let's not forget, Porzingis is really good posting up. So I think it's something that gives them a lot of flexibility in lineups, but also just purely how they play on the court. So it's unfortunate you have to have Marcus Smart out the door in order to make that happen. But I think you know it's one of those things where it's, in the end, probably going to benefit the Celtics overall. So long as they stay healthy, it'll benefit them in the end. Well, that's it. Welcome back from vacation to me and welcome back to you to coach time. Thank you very much for listening. I'll be back soon with another special guest later this week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.